Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today, folks, we are rewinding back to January the 26th, 2010. It was originally episode 364. And follow up on the 22 versus the shotgun as a survival rifle was the topic then as it is today. Uh, right now, of course, we're doing back-to-back -back rewinds on this subject, and I thought it was pretty cool. So um, this episode was a direct result of a lot of comments about the original episode, the one you heard yesterday with, well, first of all, you're wrong, Jack. You should be using a 44 Magnum carbine or something like that, or um, why even limit yourself. And so I'm not going to really talk about the why of this episode much because this episode is the why of the episode. I did want to talk a little bit about what started out, which was a mental simulation. When we go into mental simulations, what we do is we put ourselves into a hypothetical situation, and that requires us to then solve a problem. And when we do that, if we assume that we have unlimited resources, we don't really learn anything. We basically were asking ourselves a magic wand question. If you could have anything you want, what would you do? Well, first of all, I wouldn't be in a situation where I need a survival rifle, so it doesn't matter, right? But by limiting ourselves to, like, these are the two things we have to pick from. So I want to expand behind gun beyond guns with that with the new intro today. Um, with the concept of what is the value of mental simulation. We just did an episode last week, and I really believe those of you that listen to that episode, if you will apply that and teach your children that, your children will be millionaires before they're, they're 40. I, I really believe that. If you really get your children to think this way uh, and, and use those different life skills, those 10 life skills, and one of them was mental simulations. And it's, a, it's an incredibly valuable tool, and I thought I would use uh, this new introduction is a chance to expand a little bit on um, that concept of, of, of mental simulations from last week's show. So here's, here's what I really want you to understand about the mental simulation thing. Everything I said last week is true, that if you are getting ready to go to a job interview, you know, role-playing with a partner who's hired people, it's probably not a bad idea, but if you develop the skill set to where you can literally do that yourself inside your own head, And you can think of every question that you could possibly be asked. And you can think of every answer you're going to give. And you can think of every bad way that answer could be received and every way that, that, you know, that interviewer could come back at you uh, with, but, well, if that's true, then why is this, you know, that type of thing. And you could then, like, do that mental, basically mental martial arts kata is what you're doing when you do this. You're creating your own opponent. Just like you do, when you're doing a martial arts kata, if you're doing it right, when you're throwing a block, you're visualizing a strike. You're not just throwing the block to throw the block. And you're not only visualizing the strike, you're visualizing the point on the opponent that the block would actually impact and what it would look like. And that next follow-up part of that kata then is a follow-up to an opponent. It's not a dance, right? It's, it's, it, that's what you're doing when you do a kata. So when you do mental simulations, it's kind of like a mental martial art kata. And the thing that I didn't really say last week about that is this is a natural ability of a child. I said when you teach your kid this, just encourage their imagination because kids like imagination. But what I, I kind of left out of that, and I wanted to bring to you this week as, as I'm gone on these rewinds, is 
This is one of the things we destroy in ourselves as we grow up. There is a, there's an incredible value as we grow up in learning to, you know, live in the real world, take things seriously, to take some of our willingness to take a risk and bring some temperance to it and some, you know, um, some better, you know, better thought process and some risk aversion. Like there is so much wisdom that comes with age. But that doesn't mean we need to let go of everything that makes us amazing as beings when we're, when we're children and when we're young. And one of those things that makes us so amazing as young people, it's one of the reasons that if a person's not well on their way to become a millionaire by the time they're 30, they're probably not going to. There are people that, you know, like Colonel Sanders, I think, is an example. He was middle-aged when he came up with his chicken idea or something. But most people that become millionaires, that become new money, Uh, are millionaires by or on their way to by the age of 30. Sometimes not even financially yet, but you can tell. You look at that person, you see where they're headed. And if, if they're not there by 30, a lot of times it never happens. And it's because as we age, our willingness to use our imagination declines. We become more and more, as, you know, whatever your old person says, I'm set in my ways. Where with kids, everything's possible. When my son was really young, I'm talking like eight, nine years old, you know, he was, he was like three foot nothing, right? He was going to play for the Chicago Bulls. And it's, that's what he's always say. I'm going to play. I'm going to, what are you going to do when you grow up? I'm going to be a basketball player for the Chicago Bulls. Yes, this was the heyday of Michael Jordan, obviously, right? And, uh, you know what I ever said, what I always said to him? That's great. I'm not going to squash that. Life will take care of that in time, right? There's no need for me to squash that. But that ability to dream that way. When I was a little kid, you know what I wanted to be when I grew up? I wanted to be an astronaut. You know? I mean, I wanted, and I didn't want to be an astronaut like, you know, circles the earth and goes in a space station. I want to go to the freaking moon. I remember telling my grandma that I was going to go to the moon and bring her back moon rocks so she could make earrings out of them. I used to get a glass of tang and sit in an easy chair and lean back like I was flying off in a rocket when I was, I'm not a little kid here, like five years old. Well, you get older and you realize, well, they don't really hire astronauts to fly, or fly spaceships that are blind in one eye, and we don't go to the moon anymore. And if we ever do go again, you'll be an old man by then, and they won't want you. So no one needed to tell me that when I was a kid. But you know what? That belief that you're you know, this little bitty white kid that can't jump and you're going to play for the bulls, or you know, you're, you're this kid that can't see out of one side of his head but he's going to fly spaceships, that, that is the magic of mental simulation. Because you actually envision yourself being able to do the things that you may never do. But in doing that, you find the things that you can do. And you find the things that you're really passionate about you want to follow. Or you just become better as a person at solving problems. So the entire point of the mental simulation that led to these two podcasts over the last two days was about the idea that if we actually challenge our mind, our mind actually grows. And if we actually challenge our mind through imagination, we can keep some of the amazing part of ourselves that we have when we're younger. And as we age, instead of replacing it with the temperance of adulthood, we can marry it with that. With that, here we go, rewinding back, January 26, 2010, originally episode 20, uh, 364, follow up on the 22 versus the shotgun. All right, so let's move on to the main topic of today's show, and that's going to be the 22 versus the shotgun. So I did this show, when did I do it? Uh, back on, was it Tuesday last week? Is it exactly one week ago? 
I did it on, uh, I don't know, someday last week. There's no dates on my blog. This is craziness. Anyway, I never noticed. I guess I don't look like your own phone number. You never call yourself. Anyway, so I had 22 responses, which is a pretty high response number for a show, especially a show on a single topic. Usually when I get a lot of responses, it's because I do a show on like 20 topics, like a listener question show or whatever. So that broad spectrum brings a lot of comments. 22 on a single subject. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it? 22 responses to a show about the 22. Anyway, um, I got, that's a lot. I think one is me, so it's really 21. It's one of me, one is me answering and saying, keep it coming, guys. All right, now, here is what I want to do today, though. I want to go through all of your objections, uh, agreements, disagreements, uh, add-ons, things like that. And I want to make this show interactive with you, even though it's not a live show, you can't call in, by going through the responses that we got. And I'm going to read people's names here because if you posted it on the blog, I'm assuming that you're okay with that. So whatever you've posted your name as, that's how I'm going to, I'm going to read you. So our first comment comes from Dan Hunter. And Dan Hunter says, Jack, good show. I just wonder where the 22 mag would fit into this. I, it would have better killing power for some, uh, and, and too much for the other. And I think that's the issue that I have with the 22 Mag, other than expense. The 22 Magnum, my problem with it is it's an expensive round to shoot compared to the 22 Long Rifle, and I would say even compared to shotguns in general. And the reason I say that is you can go out and buy a slew of shot and, and some powder and some waddings, and you can reload shotgun shells for about $1.50 a box. Uh, and you can't buy, you know, 22 Magnum at that price. So you don't even have the option for reloading with a 22 Magnum, and it's much more expensive than 22 Long Rifle. That said, I love the 22 Magnum. I think the people that don't think it's enough of a gain don't get it. It really is a big gain. Uh, it'll take for, especially when you start looking at larger small gains, so when you look at, like, let's say a groundhog, I'm not real comfortable taking a 100-yard shot on a groundhog with a 22 long rifle. If you get a headshot, you're going to make a kill at that range. But, you know, by that range and, and the, the accuracy capabilities of the 22, you're really looking at taking kind of doing the whistle and getting them to stand up and taking that chest shot, right? Well, a 22 long rifle is highly likely to not anchor an animal like a groundhog, they're tough critters. When you look at things like foxes and raccoons and things like that, these are all animals that if you're shooting with a 22 long rifle, you're going to have to hold your range back into the 50-yard range most of the time, and you're definitely going to be looking for that headshot. They're just too big to anchor. The 22 Magnum will anchor them in most instances with the right rounds with a heart-lung shot of game of that size. Now, you start pushing its effective range to maximum, and it starts to fall off. But... It is a solid range extender. My problem with it, though, is you shoot a squirrel at 25 yards with it, and it does a lot of damage comparatively to, you know, a solid out of a 22. Uh, definitely with 22 magnums, when you're when you're backing down a smaller game, you cannot go shooting hollow points. You need to shoot solids. It's a good round. It just to me. For everything you gain, you're giving something up. And the 22 Magnum for me is more of a specialty round. Now, it's too bad that we have to be protected from ourselves. And what I mean by that is there's no reason that we couldn't have built the 22 uh, Magnum round to be the exact same outer diameter as the 22 Long Rifle. It certainly could have been done. 
And what that would have allowed us to do is take a 22 Magnum rifle and fire 22 long rifles. And it's just the way we could take a carbine designed to fire 357 Magnums and fire 38 Specials in it. I don't know how well the accuracy would hold up, but it would be something that could have been done. But out of fear that someone would take a 22 Magnum and shove it into a 22 long rifle, uh, and maybe get it to close because the, the, maybe a little bit longer of a chamber than normal was there and blow them, their gun up or blow their face up. They made the outer diameter of the 22 Magnum shell just a little, and I guess we say, it's not a shell, it's a cartridge, whatever. Okay. You people that nitpick that crap. You know what I'm going to do today for people like that? I'm going to say clips and I'm going to say clips when I mean magazines just to torment you. Anyway, I just hate anal people like that. Anyway, so you take a 22 long rifle cartridge and you look at it next to a 22 Magnum cartridge. The outside diameter of the Magnum is just a little bit bigger. And it's done that way again, so we can't cram the Magnum into the 22 long rifle because at the time these things were invented, there's a fear that that would happen. If we had gone the other way and just said, don't put 22 Magnums in your 22, well, we could have built that really multi-purpose weapon, and that would have been really awesome, something I wish people would have done. So as I was saying, one of the um, rounds that I really like a lot is actually the uh, 22 Hornet. And I think if you're going to look at moving up over the 22 in range, velocity, power, uh, all of those things, that it, it really is worth taking a look at the 22 Hornet and moving beyond rimfire. And the reason I say that is... The 22 Hornet round has been maligned. It's been said that it's not much of an appreciable gain over the 22 Magnum. That is incorrect. Uh, the 22 Hornet is definitely a 200-yard round, definitely on small to small to uh, we'll call medium small game. Again, your 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 raccoons, your uh, your your uh, groundhogs and things, and the even coyote class. I think I would say uh, I would feel comfortable taking a shot out to 200 yards with a 22 Hornet on. So. It definitely extends the range beyond what the 22 Magnum does, and it's not much bigger, and it doesn't weigh much more, and it doesn't take up much more space, and I can reload it. And if I can load something to its maximum potential, I can load it back down. So I could do something. Now, I've never done this, but if I wanted to, I could take my reloading equipment, 22 Magnum or 22 uh, Hornet Brass, and I could dark out, let's say, the uh, the rim of uh, a certain number of brass cases, and those would be low-end loads, and then high-end loads would have no markings on them. Let me just take a Sharpie and completely color the rim. And that would just tell me that these loads are minimum loads. And I could load them right down to damn near where a 22 long rifle is. And I could have my other hot loads for long range. And with a nice little bolt action, 22 Hornets come in, uh, I could easily swap out around for a long-distance shot or swap out around for a close-up shot. So now I have a weapon that is really quite useful for taking game at, let's say, 50 yards and under, up to the size of deer. Uh, I feel much more comfortable taking, let's say, a head or a neck shot with a 22 Hornet on a deer than I would with a 22 long rifle. It may actually be a better survival tool. We'll talk about the 22 Hornet later on because somebody brought it up in the comments, but when you start moving toward the Magnum, I start moving toward the Hornet just my personal preference. Let's take another uh, comment here from Wes Graham. Wes says, hey, Jack, great show. And the thought I had was actually inspired by a show you did uh, way back. What about a 44 caliber lever gun? It can fire 44 mag, 44 special, downloaded 44 special uh, rounds that you talked about in the show. 
Um, I believe they even make sh- small shot shells in 44. That would give you quite a spread of power and range. Just a thought for discussion in the best guns debate. Well, I've also had conversations about the 44 by email in the last week, and one of the things that was brought up is that the 44 Magnum shot shells are actually quite effective. I don't remember who sent me that email by name now, but it was an individual who was responding to this who lives up in kind of the northeast and has been taking spruce grouse uh, with a 44 Magnum shot shell at ranges out to about, I think he said in the, you know, the 10 to 12 yard range, which is pretty, pretty damn uh, impressive to me. I, I didn't think he would get that performance out of the 44 mag shot shells, especially out of a handgun. Um, I've never been a big fan of them. I've not done a lot of research with them. I like the 22 scatter shots for very, very close range stuff um, because it's such a weak round, actually. That's why I like it. So I've never really played with, like, the 357 Magnum shot shells and the 44 Magnum shot shells. Now, likewise, he said, the uh, 357 Magnum shot shells perform miserably out of another handgun. He said they basically stayed inside the little blue cone. There wasn't enough power to break that. And they would hit, and they got very low penetration because they didn't spread out, and that weird-shaped flat cone you know, massively affected their velocity very, very quickly. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy some uh, 44 Magnum shot shells, and on my next trip up to Arkansas, I'm going to do some patterning and range tests with 44 Magnum shot shells out of my Marlin lever action rifle and report back to you. Because if they shoot well, this is an interesting concept here then for a bush gun. If I can extend that 12-yard range with the 44 Magnum shot shell, let's say out into like 16 to 18 even with a rifle, basically I've got, without quite the effectiveness, a little mini 410 shotgun um, with 44 Magnum's capability. I, as he mentioned, I can load 44 specials way, way down. I can load them down to where they're so quiet they sound like a cap gun going off. Literally, you can hear the hammer land over the shot. That's how quiet they can be loaded uh, with the appropriate charge. And you can I, maybe I'll post a link to that old show I did about that where you can look up the load that I used to do that with. That load has almost no expansion to a solid 300-grain piece of lead. If you shot a squirrel with that in the head, it's going to kill them dead, but it's not going to blow them up. It's basically just going to knock the hell out of them and, and pass through them. Uh, but it will penetrate seven inches of solid lumber because it's a slow, heavy moving slug. Its range is right at 50 yards where it starts to go off. Just doesn't have enough velocity to stay stable beyond that. Uh, but it's not a squib load. What it, the, the load that I came up with, this guy's talking about, came out of the old Hornady, uh, not old Hornady, the old Lee reloading manual, the old red one before they came up with their new version. Uh, and it's 4227 powder. I don't remember if it's IMR or H or you have to, have to look it up. I don't want to give it on the air, but it was a load for the 44 special with 300 grain bullets. I loaded it up, stuck it in the rifle, and with that long barrel, it was quiet, it was effective, and it was absolutely deadly out to 50 yards. It is much quieter, I would say, than even a 22 long rifle. It has much more lethality. I wouldn't hesitate to take medium-sized game with it. Uh, I think it would do an awesome job on, you know, you know, mid-sized white-tailed deer and down. It certainly, with a headshot, is going to be absolutely lethal or a neck shot. So for close range, it's what it's designed for anyway. It has a lot of effectiveness. Taking that broad spectrum of the fully loaded 44s down to these, these light loaded with hand loading. And we could do the hand loading, folks, with a Lee hand loader that we could pack up and carry with us in a pack. And then adding to it shot shells. And you can load your own shot shells for rifle and pistol cartridges. 
if we if if this checks out for me, this is a unique thing. Now here's the disadvantage. I'm back to the same thing with a shotgun. I can do all of these things with a shotgun. I've got bulk and weight of ammo. With a 44 Magnum, I've got much smaller ammo as far as as bulk. But as far as weight goes, go pick up a uh, 100 uh, 44 uh, caliber bullets, not cartridges and loaded, just the bullet itself, the slugs. Just, just you know, go to a, uh, your local store that sells reloading supplies. Pick up that, just 100 rounds. And see how much it weighs. Even with 240 grains, rather than the heavy stuff, the 300 grainers, it's a lot of weight. So that's the thing I get back into is weight of carrying the ammo now. Uh, but there's a lot of flexibility there. So that's interesting. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, next one, guy says, uh, Steve S., Depending on the situation in electricity, small game providing a meal or two's worth of meat can be very desirable, and quiet can have advantages. So what Steve's saying there is, hey, um, if I shoot a deer and I don't have any electricity, I've got a lot of meat that might go to waste. That's why you better have salt in your preps, folks. If you have salt, black pepper, and coriander, that deer just became a massive pile of biltong that will keep for years. But he's right. You may not have the time to be able to do that. We're small game. You can take and eat, and you, you waste very little to none. Um, he also says, please keep us up to date on quiet 22s. Can you discuss, again, subsonic rounds? Hard to find in retail stores now. And 22 rifles with suppressors. What are you giving up and gaining? What is the quietest 22 rifle? Uh, is off, uh, that is also field worthy, depending on, uh, dependable and has a good value. Thanks. The 22 versus the shotgun is a tension getting show for me. Great topic. Alright, Steve, um, good stuff there. Let's start out with the first part. The 22 subsonic rounds. To me, they're not that much quieter unless they're suppressed. By staying subsonic, we don't get that sonic boom, that secondary crack, you know, of the rifle shot, that boom crack. Right? So that's what it's, that's what it, it, it pulls back. So. What it tends to really do is if you're suppressing it, since you're suppressing the, the, the blast from the muzzle, so to speak, instead of that secondary crack, it makes a suppressed round much more quiet. So subsonic's a little bit more quiet. You're giving up a little bit of velocity and energy, and I don't think you're getting, I mean, a 22, let's be honest, a 22 standard velocity long rifle's not that loud anyway. Best thing you can do is buy a box geeks, go out and shoot them. If they're both accurate in your weapon out to 50 yards, and that's a general distance or less that you're shooting, and you find an appreciable difference, then use the subsonics. It, it won't hurt anything. I haven't had trouble finding them. I went over to Cheaper Than Dirt. They had them in stock, the Remington Subsonic 22s. Uh, I use Thunderbolts, and that's that's my primary um, round. They're inexpensive. They're accurate. They're dependable, um, and they have plenty of uh, velocity and knockdown power, so that's that's my standard 22 long rifle. So subsonics, I'm not that keen on. If you want to go to the level of getting a suppressor, now we can start talking about subsonics and their advantages. And we gain quite a lot with a suppressor as far as quiet. Uh, we also gain the need to spend $200 for a, uh, a Class 3 stamp and going through that rigmarole and paperwork, and that may not be available and accessible to everybody, depending on your background, because certain people that have done certain things in their lives, they can still own a gun, may not be able to get a Class 3 weapon. Now, I'm going to have people tell me, that's not true, but I'm going to tell you that it is, because I know somebody, for a fact, that can walk into any single uh, a gun store they want to and buy a gun today, and if they go to try to get a Class 3 stamp, they can't, because of a criminal issue in their background. Uh, that's not sufficient to bar them from purchasing a weapon 
itself. So go ahead and flame away, folks. And uh, if you have a solution for the guy, I'll put you in touch with him because he's been wanting to buy a suppressor for a Sig Mosquito, which is a little 22 pistol for a long time, and he can't do it. So um, that's one of the That's a minor disadvantage, though. Now, there's people that say once you get Class 3, the government can come rip your house apart without a warrant or whatever. That's not true. So you're not giving up anything there. You're spending $200 for a stamp, and then you're spending the money on a suppressor to suppress a rifle that you probably paid under $200 for. So there's the financials, what you're giving up there. But you do get the quiet, and I like that. The cheap solution for this, and to get very, very quiet, is to shoot 22 shorts in your rifle. Uh, hold your range back to 50 yards uh, or less. In fact, 35 yards is probably a better range to consider the 22 short lethal on, you know, let's say squirrel-sized game. But you get a very, very quiet weapon. Uh, you get a 29-grain lead instead of a 40-grain piece of lead. Uh, it's very, very effective. Um, I have never had a 22. That if I have it zero dead on at 25 yards with 22 long rifles, when I put 22 shorts in there, they don't still shoot dead on. Um, as you start to extend ranges, you lose that. But after 25, 35 yards, uh, the two rounds will shoot damn near identical. Because you have low pressure, you don't have a lot of barrel oscillation, your your harmonics are quite uniform, and you're pretty much shooting a straight line shot at that range. So I've found them to require no adjustment of the scope or iron sights, and uh, to be very, very effective. So if you want quiet, I'd go with the 22 shorts. There's also what they call um, 22 uh, CBs, uh, and uh, Aquila makes uh, – Around they call it a super colibri or colibri. I don't know the right way to pronounce it. If you want to get on me for not knowing that, that's fine. But basically, it's a 20-grain bullet that fires at about 500 feet per second and very little noise. It is basically a slug and a primer, and uh, very similar to the old conical ball caps uh, uh, that, that the uh, 22 had for years and years and years. Now, I've been told that you're not really supposed to shoot these things in rifles. I've shot them in rifles, and I've never had any problems. The problem is you could end up with a round lodged in the barrel. It may not exit. I've never seen that happen. Um, the danger would be if you fired one and it blocked the barrel and you fired another one on top of it, now you're firing into an obstructed barrel and you get all the dangers that come with that. But since these won't these won't cycle in semi-autos, this is pretty much a bolt-action rifle proposition. If you fire and nothing comes out the end of it, I think you should know. So those are very, very quiet, but we're talking about a 20 round, a 20 yard, uh, uh, tool now. We're talking about a really badass 22 caliber pellet gun that's much quieter than a badass 22 caliber pellet gun. So these are some different options that you have there, uh, for like, let's say super quiet 22 caliber use. And I do think that the, uh, Colibre or Col- Colibri or whatever the hell, have anybody else how you say that and wants to put it in the comment section, please do. I'd like to see it you know, phonetically spelled or what have you. Um, I, I think that they're much quieter than a 22 Pelican, and they're much more effective, honestly, uh, added to like 25-yard ranges than most of them because you got more weight. It's a heavier projectile than a 22 pellet. So uh, those are some options there. Let's take the uh, next one in the comment stream. Okay, well, Cliff Haynes says, Hi, Jack, good show. I'm a firm believer that the 22 is the way to go uh, for long-term I need to eat, the long term I need to eat tool. Around here, uh, like many places during the Depression, 22 was the difference between a family having something to eat or going hungry. I personally don't want a 22 with removable magazine or tube feed for a hard times tool. Magazines are easy to lose, especially during the winter, and tubular magazine plungers are too easy to bend or break. 
it, it is an issue I don't want to chance when it's about eating or going hungry. T-N-X. Cliff. Okay. I guess that's thanks, Cliff. Uh, Cliff, I don't completely agree with the second part. Let's talk about the first part. I'm with you on feeding yourself during the Depression. This is why my opinion of the 22 is so high in the first place. I grew up with Depression-era grandparents and even had a little bit of time left you know, being able to talk through my grandfather as an interpreter to a a Depression-era great-grandfather. And I always heard the stories of how you know, this is how we fed ourselves beyond standing in line to get some cheese or something like that when things were really hard. And, and they were coal miners, hunters, farmers, and fishermen. And between that, they kept, kept themselves warm uh, by, you know, providing some of their own coal. And with their, their weapons, they were able to feed themselves uh, by using the stuff that was available in the mountains. Sometimes it was squirrels and sometimes it was things that, you know, we don't want to think about eating today, like possums and raccoons and things like that. But, hey, folks, I'll eat a possum or a raccoon. It doesn't bother me at all. So I'm totally with you. Now, on the removable magazines, or the removable clips, just so I can irritate one or two people out there really bad, um, the removable magazines, seriously, that is the proper term. Um, yeah, you can lose them, but buy three or four of them. Then the other thing is if I lose a, a removable clip, God, I just, I, I, I swear to God, I hate the 16 year olds on YouTube that every time a guy posts a video of his, his rifle and says the word clip, it drives me nuts. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, if you lose one, you have another one. If you lose them all, you still have a single shot, uh, bolt action. That's the thing about that. You can still load that, uh, weapon. So, I don't know. If you don't remove the magazine, you're not going to lose it. So I guess you could consider it a fixed magazine and only remove it when you're loading it or doing maintenance on it. Uh, I asked the question, if you uh, if you don't use either one of those, uh, what do you use? And Cliff came back and said, currently we have a Remington 514s and 580 set up for hard-time food hunting. Nothing special, just plain old single shots with receiver sights with post and bead front sights leather slings okay so here's the thing cliff okay so you have your 514 and 580 single shot um bolt actions i have my marlin model 25 with a magazine that holds seven rounds if i lose my magazine i'm now exactly where you are right you will never have the ability to have seven follow-up shots now do you need seven follow-up shots probably not but there's a lot of convenience there for one follow-up shot especially on a crippled animal Loading a single 22 shell for a follow-up shot can be done, but it's somewhat difficult. So that's the other thing, right? right uh, my wife's favorite is a Remington 580 with old Bushnell for, Sport View 3 to 6 scope on it. Good scope. Uh, I prefer a 4 fix, but I'm fine with that. I've been toying with trying an NEF Sports or 22 long rifles. You can be broken down to fit a backpack out of sight and go into the woods. and would be a big plus in hard times. We have other 22s available. When I do carry a non-single shot 22, it's usually my 77 22. Okay, Cliff, here's the thing. Um, before you buy an NEF um, breakdown 22, go pick one up and see how heavy those things are. They're a very heavy frame for such a small rifle. They do break down. I would be more inclined. I know you don't like magazines and semi-autos, but if you want something that breaks down, I would be more inclined to look at something like a Marlin Papoose or one of the military variant survival 22s out there. Uh, I am not, I repeat, I am not a big fan of um, uh, of the uh, the NEFs when it comes to 
backpacking functionality, unless we're talking about a shotgun. Their rifles are freaking heavy. Um, they're not bad in, if you're comparing them to a standard centerfire rifle. Uh, so if I look at a 306 NEF and a 306 uh, Model 700, the weight's almost the same, and then I get a shorter rifle because I remove the uh, the, the chamber because I pull it all the way back to the face of the breech. So I'll shorten uh, two rifles with 22-inch barrels, but I'll have a, a three-inch shorter rifle with the NEF, and I like that for compact and moving through the woods and having a single-shot rifle and all the cool stuff that goes with that. But for a 22 backpacking rifle, I just think you have too much weight there. I would be more inclined, even if, let's say you wanted a single-shot 22, go get yourself one of the, uh, I think they're a 15Y, Marlin 15Y 22, which is the, the youth version, single-shot 22 bolt action. Put a, um, a, a thick recoil pad to extend the stock a little bit. You take one screw out, you pull the rifle out of its stocks, and that thing's going to compact down to about, I'd say, probably 16 inches. So, I mean, that's a, that would be a more preferable thing in giving you what you want. I don't like the NEF for that. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the next one kind of in the, uh, the, uh, the, the chain. This one comes from Two Blues Mama. In answer to your question, this is what the Two Blues Mama household uses per DH. I guess that's the old man there, the husband. Uh, Mossberg model 512 gauge, 28 vent rib barrel, three chokes, trophy slugster rifle barrel and a scope. Henry Golden Boy lever action, uh, with 22 long rifle, 22 shorts, best for small game rabbit squirrels. Also quiet enough to the scare of the big blue dog. Uh, Savage model 24 and 22 long rifle, uh, 20, 20 gauge shotgun. Um, so that's the over and under, 22 long rifle uh, with a shotgun barrel, over and under style. I like that gun. We'll talk about that a bit here in a second. Great show, tra- uh, Jack. You're right on target. Uh, what is the release date of your book, The Age of Chomping at the Bid for? Release date of the book should be about three more weeks, even though I said three weeks, three weeks ago. Uh, just way too many things going on to wrap it up, and it will probably be released with mostly just the technical aspects with a second version, not a second book, but a second version coming out that covers more of the hunting aspects. Uh, just as it's going to take longer to photograph everything. When we went up to Arkansas last time, we were going to do a lot of photo shooting. It was seven degrees outside. And I didn't want to do the photo shoots with heavy coats because I wanted you to be able to see the way that the form worked out. So that put us back on our photo shoot a little bit. So that pushed back the release date. Uh, on the weapons you have there, they sound great. Let's talk about the, the shotgun 22 rifle combo gun. I like those. I like those a lot. I think they're an exceptional balance. Uh, my, my, my issue has always been they're, they're almost impossible to scope and it really would ruin them to scope them. Uh, because it ruins that, that quick, uh, close, uh, range, uh, shooting ability with the, uh, the shotgun to be able to take wing shots, uh, effectively. Now, I had an uncle that had a 12 gauge over 222 Savage. I think it was 12, it was either 12 over 222 or 12 over 223. And he scoped it, but he scoped it with a two power scope, uh, with long eye relief like a scout rifle. And what this allowed you to do was actually, it was pretty dadgone sweet for shooting with a shotgun. And, you know, he said you could do it, and I was like, I don't think so, just shooting clays with, you know. So let's go out and do it. And I was able to, to break just about as many clays, uh, shooting single clays with that 
uh, with that scope on it as I was with uh, my Remington 870. Not quite as many, not quite as effective, but I, I wouldn't say that it was ineffective at all. I'd say it was actually very effective, and, and it was, as long as the shot was, let's say, 15 yards or more, uh, you didn't lose very much at all. And you shot with both eyes open so you could lead. Uh, you, you could you could spot the the, uh, the target as you brought the scope to bear on it with with the uh, off eye, and uh, it was quite effective. So I like that gun as well. Um, very cool uh, that you guys have one of those. Let's go to the next um, one. This is from Jay Neuser, N E U S E R. If I got your name wrong, I'm sorry, dude. Um, another great show, Jack. Personally, I'm going with the Marlin uh, 25. In 22 Winchester Magnum, 22 MN, in 22 Mag, Mag <coughs> excuse me, in 22 Magnum rimfire with scopes. So it's 22 Magnum. However, headshots are critical with the 22 Mag on small game, as it destroys too much meat of shot in the body. The benefit I feel, though, is due to the added penetration. It's more reliable than a 22 long rifle on medium to larger size game. I'm with you on that. It gives up very little to the 22 long rifle in regards to size and weight of ammo, but does have a little bit louder report. Certainly not louder than a shotgun, though. Completely agree with you there. Cliff, I can kind of understand, so now he's responding to Cliff. I can kind of understand the concern for possibly losing or damaging a magazine, but if that did indeed happen, it would just turn into a single-shot rifle. So I'm not quite grasping the argument between choosing a single shot to begin with for that reason. Uh, now, I tend to be very rough on my field guns. Most have lots of dead scratches and dings. Haven't managed to lose or damage a mag or tube yet, though. I'm not saying your weapon of choice is wrong. If that is what you want, preferred, then more power to you. I'm just not following the logic behind that reason, my friend, John. Um, I, that's exactly what I said, basically, and I hadn't read all these comments yet, so it's cool that we, we think the same way there, John. Um, yeah, I'm back, to, I'm back with you on that one. That, you know, if I have a magazine-fed uh, rifle, and I lose the magazine, now I have a, uh, a a single-shot rifle. The other side of that is the, the tubes, like the, uh, I'm a big fan of the Marlin Model 60, which is a tube-fed, uh, semi-automatic 22 rifle, very, very affordable, um, very, very reliable. I've never seen anybody bend a tube in one of those. I guess you could, um, I, but I'm not sure how you would manage that unless you were really abusive. Um the only time that tube is vulnerable is during loading. So only when you extend it is, it is it vulnerable. If you were to damage the rifle in a way where when that tube is inserted, that, you know, you're out hunting and you fall and damage the rifle that way, you've probably got problems with the barrel to be able to damage the tube at that point. Um, I guess, to me, it seems like it would be readily repairable. And if you were that concerned about it, go ahead and buy one. They're cheap enough, like Brunel's, and keep one at home and have a spare. Um, I guess if you were out backpacking and you lost it, now you've got a problem. But even if you bent it, you could probably self-correct it, and maybe it would reduce your capacity. But it would be almost, in, you know, in, almost impossible unless you did it on purpose to damage it in a way that wouldn't let you get four or five rounds with that semi-auto. So I, I don't think that's really a valid argument either. But like you know, like John says, if that's what you want, I, I don't question you in that in any way for your own choice. But I don't get the logic either. Uh, as far as the 22 mag, you know, John, what I already said, uh, if you start moving into 22 magnum, I'm more inclined to start looking at the 22 Hornet 
because now I have reloading capabilities. I can load up and down the spectrum to a full power load to, to a round that's down in just maybe somewhere between the 22 long rifle and the 22 magnum that has that closer range capabilities. And then I add in, you know, a little small handheld reloader. And as long as I mark my brass in some way that's going to be permanent or at least semi-permanent, I'm not going to confuse the rounds. And even if I do, the worst thing that's going to happen is I'm going to have an underpowered round and a situation where I'd like a higher-powered round, or I would have a higher-powered round where I'd like a lower-powered round. I'm not going to hurt myself. The 22 Hornet rifle is going to be able to handle that spectrum up and down. So I'm not going in any uh, safety risk there whatsoever. So 22 uh, mag, don't don't um, don't think it's a bad choice. I would just prefer a Hornet over it uh, for all the reasons I just gave you. Uh, Chad Tudor says, well, Jack, I know some folks here in Montana that prefer the 33rd rifle and a 12-gauge shotgun. A 22, well, maybe, but the animals are huge here. Just my thoughts, Chad. And Chad has a point. If you're out on the, you know, Wyoming or Montana plains or in the big sky country, uh, getting close is harder than it is in the timber of the East Woods. And that's where I've spent most of my time hunting is in the timber. Um, so maybe sometimes I, I don't think about that as much. As far as end of 3030, you're breaking the rules of the game, man. Um, this is a one-gun scenario. Now, we'll talk about that in just a second because somebody has a little bit of a snipey comment that we'll, we'll get into that. But for this discussion, this is an intellectual exercise. Nobody's suggesting you get rid of all your guns and just keep one. What we're saying is if we got into a situation where I've got to make a choice and I'm going to be going out into a situation where I might have to feed myself with my weapon, and since I'm a limited human being with limited capabilities and I can't run around with a gun cabinet strapped to my back, right, what would I take if I don't have any further information other than I have to go out there and be alone and I have to take all the ammo that I'm going to need, let's say, for six months with me, all right? So I don't I don't disagree with the approach of a 30-30 and a 12-gauge at all, Chad. I think you're probably dead on with that. And honestly, you know that part of the country better than me. But in our intellectual exercise, it may lead you over to choose the shotgun over the 22 for the reasons you just gave. You're in a place where there's a hell of a lot more mule deer and elk and bear than a situation like I might be in the, the Arkansas woods or the Georgia woods or any place in the heavy timber where you're going to be getting closer and there's a lot more small game available. That's what I think you guys have a ton of small game available out there. If you broaden your definition of what small game is to things like prairie dogs and ground squirrels and marmots and things like that. Um, but I would probably start to, to, to vacillate to the other side here with a shotgun. Um, or maybe moving up into 22 Hornet territory if I had to spend my time in the big sky country. I think it's a totally different scenario than what was generally on my mind um, uh, going forward there. So good stuff there from Chad. Um, let's look at the next comment. This is from Richard. Richard says, guns are tools. Argument over 22 or 12 gauge is silly. No one tool will meet all your needs. There's a reason why I have over 100 different tools in my workshop and why I have 10-plus guns. Odds are well, you'll need 5-plus guns and different configurations and caliber to meet 80%-plus of the, the use cases for guns. Even with the 22 long rifle or 12-gauge space, you might need multiple guns to meet your needs. A good 12-gauge bird ski gun is not the same as a good tactical defense shotgun. Likewise, there are 22 pistols and rifles and insert conversion devices for other guns all have their place. Well, Richard, you didn't get it, did you? 
All right. It's, it sounds a little smug there, Richard. I'm sorry if I'm going to bend your nose a little bit here, but you didn't get it. First of all, your ten guns, put them all on your back and head into the woods for uh, three weeks with them. Right? If you are in a situation where you're kind of coming back to base every day, right, you're, you're, you're bugged in, you're absolutely right. But you're not going to carry five guns on your back. You're not going to carry three. You might carry a rifle and a sidearm or a shotgun and a sidearm, and that would be another scenario. But why the hell do we do thought experiments like this in the first place? Why do we say, if you can only have the 12-gauge or the 22, which one do you take? Do we do that because it is the most realistic scenario that we could ever find? Absolutely not. Do we do that so that we can go home and throw away all our other guns except our shotgun or our 22? Absolutely not. We do it because when we put ourselves into situations mentally where we have to think about limitations, then we learn something about needs. Let's say that again, Richard. When we put ourselves in a place where mentally we assign ourselves limitations, we learn something about needs. And that is something that most people fail to do. I'll just have a center fire for my deer, and I'll have a specialty waterfowl shotgun, and I'll have a slug shotgun, I'll have a technical shotgun, and I'll have a general purpose shotgun, and then I'll go get myself a twenty two and four handguns, and you know, and I'm going to have a 100 guns, just like my 100 tools in my tool chest. Well, first of all, Richard, you may have more financial means than the person that's out there listening to this show trying to decide which gun to buy as their first gun. And at the point that they buy that first gun, until they save up enough money to buy that second gun, that is the only gun that they have. So the argument is not silly for that person. Capiche? Secondly, again, when we go out into a situation where we are going to put ourselves, let's say, into harm's way for a long period of time, be it by choice or by necessity, we don't have the option to put a gun cabinet on our back. We can't do that, right? And last, again, it's about mental experimentation. And by taking yourself and saying, I have to make a choice here, what it does is it helps you identify the strengths and weaknesses of anything that's part of that choice. So if I said you can only have either a center fire rifle or a shotgun, that puts us into another place where we have to make those determinations. So, yeah, I mean, all guns have their place, um, but you know what? It really does help us to expand our minds by placing limitations upon ourselves. Let, let, let's just look at how this fits into other walks of life. Let's look at something like the game of golf. In the game of golf, you can only carry so many clubs. You have to hit this little ball and, and across this uh, this kind of vast terrain with all these little bits of traps and try to get that ball into the hole. Now, the pragmatist would say, if I wanted that ball in that hole that bad, I would walk from the tee to where the hole is, and I'd stick the ball in there, and I'd be done with it already. I mean, I have to walk to the hole anyway sooner or later, because every time I hit the ball, I follow the ball, and after the ball goes in the hole, then I go take the ball out of the hole, which totally undoes the situation. So why do we bother to play a game like golf or football or basketball? Or why do we do crossword puzzles or word puzzles? Why do we do word searches? Why do we do Sudoku? Why do we do anything? Why do we play chess? We do it to expand our minds. So if you didn't understand that, I'm sorry. 
Uh, but that's why we do these thought experiments. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Cliff Haynes comes in and says, most of the two-feed rifles I've used work quite well as single shots, but I've never used a rifle, rifle with a removable mag that worked out well as a single shot unless I was able to fabricate something to take the place of the magazine. In my experience, each round must be inserted into the actual chamber. It's easy to drop the round through the magazine hole. Uh, with a lot of old bolt single shots, all you do is drop the round into the ejection port and close the bolt, as long as you didn't drop it back in backwards double chamber. So Cliff's coming back on this objection that if I, uh, if I lose my magazine, I still have a single shot rifle, which you have in the first place. I guess you're, you're, you're correct there, but when, we're, let's be honest, when we're loading a single round into a 22, we're not doing it for follow-up shooting. Right? And it kind of really defeats the purpose. We're doing it to load it. And you don't really have to put it all the way into the chamber. All you have to do, I've, I've done it with my Model 25 all the time, is take the nose cone of that bullet and basically get the slug in there. Once the slug is into the throat, it'll chamber. So, again, I'm just not following your argument, Cliff. Again, I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that your, your argument would never win me over to giving up. Uh, the ability to have follow-up shots by a tubular or magazine-fed rifle. Uh, Cheshire Cat says, maybe a more practical discussion would be what two to three guns in your collection should you know, you practice with regularly and at minimum know how to shoot well. Backwoods Home ran a really good article a while back by Masad Ayub uh, in which he described a four-gun battery he felt was adequate for all rural needs. They were the shotgun, uh, 12 or 20, uh, 22 rifle, centerfire rifle, and a handgun. Um, I can't disagree with that because that's exactly the battery that I've recommended over and over and over again for you to build up as your base battery. Shotgun, 22 center fire handgun. Um, that is exactly what I've recommended. So let's go ahead and uh, move on with uh, Cheshire Cat's comment. It says, uh, after a link to the Backwoods Home article, I kind of like this except for maybe the handgun, as I'm not a big handgun person. Don't get me wrong, I have my CCW. It's just not my thing. On the other hand, to misquote Kill Bill, uh, I'm a freaking surgeon with my shotguns. <laughs> Here's a fun exercise. Learn to shoot trap with a 410 and see what happens when you switch back to a 12. For people like me, maybe the first three firearms are sufficient, which would be a shotgun, a 22, and a center fire rifle. Okay. My last thought, if you're stuck at home bugging in, you will have access to all your tools, including guns. If you bug out, you should be able to fit those two firearms into your car someplace. If you're stuck in the woods or something, you have whatever you walked in with, and the argument is moot. If you're bugging out on foot, well, things have gotten so screwed up, I don't even want to think about it. You may be better off with a Chinese-English dictionary at that point. Just my thoughts, Ben. Yeah, and you're kind of back to we're in this for a thought experiment, right? And we're trying to determine what weaknesses and advantages each implement offers. But let's look at it on a practical standpoint. If we are in a situation where we're not bugging out on foot, but we're in a situation where things have gotten kind of bad, uh, maybe not from a standpoint of we're worried about somebody coming and taking what we have, but I have to go off on an extended food-gathering expedition. And my primary thing I'm going to be doing is foraging and hunting and maybe trapping and those three things together. And then I'm going to come back home, and I might be gone for up to a week. Now we're back to the point where the debate about which one gun, or if we add a handgun in, but let's not cheat. Let's stick with the one-gun debate just for the validity of the thought experiment. Now, on the shotgun and your advice to go shoot trap or skeet with a 410 and switch to a 12, that's a beautiful suggestion. It's something that I used to do all the time, uh, more though shooting with a 20-inch. 
shooting with light trap loads out of a 20 gauge and then switching over to heavy trap loads with a 12 gauge, you get a similar effect. Main reason I didn't do it with a 410 is at the time that I did a lot of skeet shooting in our backyard where we were able to do it, I didn't own one. I think it's an even better uh, way to go. But I think the 410 is an excellent training tool. Uh, it is not the best gun in the field, but it's sure better than no gun. And it does have some inherent advantages. So good comment. Let's keep rolling with this today. Um, e. Michael says, Hi, Jack. I'm surprised you did not mention the AR-7 in your discussion of 22 rifles. I have one of the original Armalites, and it's a fine rifle. Don't worry. I'm not going to get all caught up in the pros and cons of this rifle versus other 22 rifles. The history of the AR-7, uh, why the AR-7 aligns with very closely discussion on the episode 360. I would uh, write it all out here, but Wikipedia is just as easy. Here's a link to Wikipedia. I figured you would, you would have seen all of this as an example of why the 22 is one of the best choices in a true shit-hit-the-fan scenario. Thanks, Eric. Um, okay, Eric, I, I like that weapon for its intended purposes. Light and to be packed into... Uh, a com a compact scenario, uh, so it's good for that. The thing is, it depends on your situation. It, that the whole packing a gun down into a small package um, has two scenarios, and only two scenarios where it's really an advantage. One is that you will be engaged in activity that will generally not require the use of a gun but may lead you to a situation where you will end up having the use of a gun and have plenty of time to get the gun from unusable to a usable condition. In other words, you're going backpacking in the wilderness. You're not going out to forage and hunt. You're going out for recreation. Should you become stranded in that situation, now the weapon can be put together and utilized as a harvesting tool or for recreational purposes, you keep it packed up, take it out there. But you're going to do target shooting while you're out in the wilds, or so to speak. So, again, we're going from a position where we don't need the gun, hiking down the trail, the squirrel runs across the trail, doesn't matter, I wasn't going to shoot him anyway, to a situation where we either need or desire use of the gun. That's one. The other is if we're in a situation where we may have to be going through areas where a gun makes us a target um, of law enforcement or hostile engagement in a true shit-hit-the-fan situation where if you're walking down the street with a gun on your back, somebody's more likely to come up to you and confiscate it or take it away from you in a law enforcement activity when the last thing you want is to be disarmed. And at that point, a sidearm or a, a, a foldable weapon has an advantage. Outside of those worlds, that entire advantage goes away. Why would I want, if I'm in a true survival situation, my rifle folded up and put away in my pack when any opportunity that presents itself to acquire food needs to be readily available or for defense? Hold on. I know you guys want to take all my stuff, but could you please let me open my pack, pull out my gun, and put it together? So I'm not a huge fan of those. Uh, the papoose is another one I mentioned earlier, unless you know exactly why you're purchasing them. As for why uh, the military chose the 22 long rifle, I think that they're in a large degree completely agree, agreeing with me that it has a lot of flexibility in a survival situation, including the low report. If you think about it, a shot-down pilot that needs to feed himself doesn't want to be blazing away with a 12-gauge, which is a hot, lot more likely to give away his position in a situation where he might be compromised by enemy, enemy troops. So that's a big reason they went with there, along with its lethality. And then the other thing is that if you get into a situation where you can rely on some of the locals, 
22 long rifle is one of the easiest ammunitions to acquire around the world. It's up there with 12 gauge shot shells, uh, and, and 308s and 223s and 7.62 by 39. It, 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 it's as acquirable in many situations. So it's acquirable throughout the globe. Low report, it is the only thing like it really in the world for that type of a weapon. That's why they chose it. I'm in complete agreement with you there. Okay, John comes and says, my brother was telling me about some kids from Myanmar. They were in a scout troop uh, and went camping. They caught a squirrel for dinner, no weapons. I asked my brother how they did it, and we'll post again. If I couldn't find anything, uh, I'll search the Internet too. For survival situations, there could be a viable option instead of using a gun. Trapping is absolutely, in many ways, a more viable option than the gun for survival situations. Uh, learning to do things like snares and deadfalls. Uh, I'm a big believer, though, if you do have the opportunity to avail yourself of equipment before you go out to do these, even in, let's say, a shoot-at-the-fence survival scenario, that things like snare wires and rat traps are better than out there fabricating things for yourself. I'm not opposed to learning these primitive skills. Just did a workshop this weekend uh, where we were being taught to do these various traps, things like uh, the pay you uh, trip line and, and a figure four drop, uh, deadfall, and things like that. And those are those are valid. But, you know, 10 rat traps fit in a pack pretty easily, uh, and it'll do a lot for you. And a lot of those people that fed themselves with a 22 in the Great Depression fed themselves with trapping squirrels with rat traps as well uh, and various other critters. And anything in that squirrel size and down, uh, a rat trap's going to be very lethal for. And, you know, bringing snare wires into the situation is where, well, the beauty of trapping is you can set 50 traps uh, in probably two to three hours if you're a good trapper. And uh, if you get 10% of them to be effective, that's five pieces of game that you've taken. And you can go back and run your trap line over and over and over again, reset the, the traps where you've been successful. And if one sits around for a long time unsuccessful, move it somewhere. It is a much better way to acquire food. It's also highly illegal in all but true survival situations. So we have to be mindful of that. Then we can look at legal trapping as well and running trap lane lines with conibears and coil springs and things like that for fur bearers that also are useful as food. So raccoon I mentioned earlier, possum I mentioned earlier, these are animals that are legal uh, fur, fur, fur bearing animals for trapping in certain seasons with certain permits with certain traps. Well, they're also edible. There's, a, a raccoon is, is actually pretty dead gone eat, good eating. Possum's not bad either. I've eaten both. And I think both of them have a big stigma, but it wasn't that long ago that throughout the South, anyway, they were uh, highly priced food, um, especially for people that lived in a rural backcountry. Uh, fox, I'm not big on eating any canine species uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'd have to be pretty hard up to eat uh, any of the you know, fox or uh, coyote or wolf, something like that. I'd have to be real hard up to do it, uh, my own personal reasons for that. But trapping, absolutely something that needs to be added to this. Chad234 uh, says, another great show, Jack. Your analysis was right on target. I especially appreciated your remarks about the primary purpose of survival weapon being to put meat on the pot. Another option in those long shot states, long shot states, might be a center fire rifle for large game with a chamber adapter for small game. Uh, training new shooters, discreet hunting, and survival poaching. Survival poaching, that's an interesting term. I've ordered a 308 to 32 ACP and will report back on the form any experience with such adapters. Um, yes, I have one that does 223 to 22 long rifle. 
uh, and I've only used it in my uh, 223 NEF handy rifle, but it works just fine. I would not call it highly accurate. You have different twist rates, different bullet lengths, and things like that. I would not call it highly accurate, but it's damn accurate enough out to about 25 to 35 yards. And it really starts to go away from there from any reasonable 22. So that's cool. And he says also another advantage of the 22 is it opens up firearm use to those who are too frail due to age or medical conditions. Not something to overlook the fact that you have no recoil. So a person that's got arthritis in the neck or the back and things like that, even the person that maybe has that condition, right? But, you know, it ain't going to hurt them to go out and shoot a 30-30 or a 308, one or two shots during deer season. But for practicing that, repeated recoil aggravates the medical condition. Definitely another reason that I'm a big fan of the 22. Uh, it's also great for training people due to lack of recoil and muzzle blast because they learn good habits and techniques like not flinching, not jerking the trigger, and those habits are easy to identify for both the shooter and the trainer, so that's another reason I like it. Um, Pool Boy says, great show, Jack. Makes me really appreciate my Ruger 1022. Also makes me want to become a better shot with it. I was at my brother's house last night. He has a Marlin 22 rifle. He hasn't used much at all uh, in the last decade. When your book comes out, uh, I think we will read it and start honing our skills a bit. Great. That's what I want to hear. Um, honing your skills is important. Your weapon is only as valuable as you are uh, at being able to shoot it properly. Um, Tom says, I just found the site last week. Sure do like it. When you talk about a defense firearm of any type, maybe not the answer. I am not any gun. A can of wasp or hornet spray is wicked, gives you a range of 20 feet or more, and you can continue continue stream to follow the target. It will disable anyone you hit in the face. I don't disagree with you at all about that. I mentioned that earlier, and the thing is, using it specifically intentionally for self-defense is probably a violation of federal law to use wasp spray that way. But if you just happen to have it next to the front door and somebody tries to get in and gets faithful of it, I'd fight that battle in court any day over letting the guy get in the house. Um, Big Time says, BTIG Time. B-T-I-G time, whatever that is. Don't know what the issue is. I carry both all of the time. If walking or stalking, I sling the 1022. If still hunting, the pump sits on a, uh, sits on a tree. If I bug out, it go, it's all going with me and staying close. Um, what? I don't understand. Are you saying you carry your 1022 and your shotgun with you all the time? I don't think that's very practical if that's what you're saying. Um, carrying two guns on your back, especially long guns, is not very practical, especially for long term. If I bug out, it's all going with me. I hope you're right. I hope you're able to take everything you need if you bug out. You still will end up in situations where it's just not practical to have two guns. And again, it's not really about only having one gun. It's about exercising our minds and putting ourselves into limitations so that we can determine the strengths and weaknesses of both options. Uh, Chat234 says, at Tom Jack featured the Wasprain issue of the past show. You should listen to it. Um, Co-O-T-O-L, C-O-Y-O-T-L. That's the form handle this guy has. Uh, I recently went quail and squirrel hunting with a Savage Model 24, 22 over 20 gauge. The screw holding the shotgun firing pin backed out and was lost at some point, disabling the shotgun. The nice thing was I still had the 22 barrel to hunt with. Lesson learned, check those screws. Always check your equipment. Um, same person, Coaltal, 
There's not enough vowel, there's not a vowel between the T and the L. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Another novel combo gun is the Springfield M6 Scout, 22 long rifle over 410, or 22 Hornet over 410, as it was originally made. It could fold, it can fold up and fit in a bug out bag if the triple guard was removed as per the original design. The Baikal, uh, Vehicle, that's that new Russian uh, IZH-94, comes in many caliber gauge combinations. Jack, what are your thoughts on the 22 Hornet? I've kind of given a little bit of those earlier, but I'll wrap up with them. I think the 22 Hornet is one of the most underrated rounds in the history of mankind for centerfire rifles. The 22 Hornet was at one time the king of uh, small bore rifles. It really was. And then something called the 223 and the 222 and the 2250 and the 220 Swift and the 221 Fireball and all of those little guys came out and really just put a damper on the world of the 22 Hornet because now I took my 200 yard range out to 300, 400, even 500 yards with some of those rounds and specific setups. But it actually, to me, was quite short-sighted that we so gravitated toward things like the 223 and the 22250 just because of longer range. With that longer range comes a much louder report. It comes less barrel life. Uh, it comes a further range of lethality, and it makes it more difficult to maybe acquire permission from landowners to be able to use those weapons on their property. It costs more money in uh, powder. I know it seems like a little bit, but if you shoot thousands of rounds, it starts to add up. Uh, it is overkill for a lot of the game that you would shoot with it. So if you want to shoot groundhogs because you just want them dead, uh, no problem at all. Uh, but it has a tendency to blow things up and blow them up real good, as they said in the movie Stripes. So for a game harvesting tool, all of those rounds are overkill where the, the 22 Hornet um, with the right slugs can be used on small game if you understand its limitations, especially if you're a hand loader and, again, maybe for certain situations load it down a little bit. Um, that said, a 22 Hornet stoked by H110 powder uh, with a good solid 40 grain uh, bullet that's, that's well put together um, is, is more than capable of taking medium-sized game with neck or headshots. Um, it's really quite lethal. Now, there's some of the really frangible bullets in that class. I wouldn't use them in that situation, but as a hand loader, you have that flexibility. It's extremely easy to reload. It's extremely stingy on how much powder it needs to perform well. It is one of the classic all-time rifle calibers, and I think that once you have your basic gun battery, if you're looking for something a little bit different and a little bit novel, it would be a hell of a choice. So if you had your shotgun, your good set, you know, your center fire that is for medium and large game, your shotgun and your 22, and said, so the next thing I'm thinking about buying is a 22 Hornet. What are your thoughts? I'd say absolutely. As a survival tool, I think it is almost as good as the 22 long rifle. It has not, it does not have the ability to carry quite as much ammunition. It doesn't have the, the, the affordability of ammo quite to the level that a 22 long rifle does. If you're going to take advantage of the reloading capabilities, you have to learn that skill. It doesn't come in anywhere near the number of rifle platforms, so you don't have as much freedom of choice. But it's a damn fine round as a survival tool or anything else. 
And uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap up the follow-up show. Uh, a lot of great comments there. I know you guys heard some phone ringing. I had some important things coming today, so I got a little interrupted. If I skipped anything in between them, I apologize in advance. But I hope this was a good show, and I hope it got you thinking. For those of you that said, why do we debate the 22 versus the shotgun or the rifle versus the shotgun or the, the, the 44 Magnum versus the 357? Why do we debate these things? It's because we live in a world where we have to be realists. And, and again, those of you that say, well, I have ten guns, and I take whatever I need. Well, not everybody can afford to buy ten guns. There's plenty of people that listen to this show that have never picked up a firearm in their life until now, that they're taking the first steps of going out and finding a mentor, learning how to shoot. Some of them are spending more money on their initial training than they are on their firearms because they know that is critical. Some of them don't have the financial means that you may have. So in all of these things, folks are out there trying to learn. And they often have to make that decision, first, second, and third purchases. And they're living in a world where I do have to make that determination. What should my first rifle be? And that's going to have a lot to do with, even though it's my first one, how long will it be till I can afford a second one? How long will it be till I can afford a third? How long will it be till I can afford reloading components and take the time to learn that skill? There's so many things that people who are lucky, people, and honestly, you're people like me. You grew up in a house with a full gun cabinet. If you wanted a rifle, you decided, what well, you're going out to hunt today. I'm going out to hunt deer. I'm going to pull my Marlin 35 Remington out. I'm going out to hunt squirrels. The leaves are off the trees. I'm going to pull out my Marlin Model 25. It's early in the squirrel season. There's lots of leaves on the trees. There's going to be close running shots. I'm pulling out my Remington 870. There's nothing wrong with that approach. But when you belittle the people that say, let's do the thought experiment and say we have to do one, one gun, you're ignoring the guy that's scraping together his first $200 to make his first purchase and may, between the first and second purchase, have the shit hit the fan and have to depend on it. And, folks, I would rather have either a 22 or a 12 gauge and the knowledge of how to use them to their full potential in that situation than a cabinet full of guns and no training because I spent all my time, resources, and money on guns and ammo versus some of it on actual practical training in the field, getting a mentor, and learning how to use the weapons effectively. Without the training, without the knowledge, and without the confidence that you build from that, your weapons are damn near useless. Absolutely damn near useless. That said, the man with two or three guns with well-trained uh, capabilities is going to be able to feed and defend himself. So I am for working to that three to four gun battery and then maybe accentuating a little bit with some purpose-built weapons. But we all have to start somewhere. And we all could end up in a situation where we have to make the choice of one gun. I'm sticking with my original pick of the 22, and I'll tell you what, if you're sticking with your pick of a 12-gauge because you're on the other side of the fence with this, hopefully you and I will be together and our one guns will become two with multi-potential uh, because I'd like to have any member of this audience be at my side in a shit-hit-the-fan situation. I know that's the case. I thank you for tuning in today. I thank you for indulging this thought experiment. I thank you for participating in it on comments on the blog. And if you guys comment a lot on an episode, I can do more episodes like this. I think they're fun. Uh, next, if I bent your nose a little bit, it was all in good fun and play today. Don't be too upset with me uh, to those that I kind of pushed back on. I just didn't think you were getting it, and you were making a statement without thinking about people that aren't in your situation. So today is uh, I've now started appending new music to 
uh, these rewinds. And sorry for the abrupt, abrupt sort of kind of cutoff there from the old close, uh, but I got to have somewhere where I do that, and I do wherever it can. Uh, as we continue with this week of songs about parenting that I've selected, um, this is the one that actually created this week. This was the one I was postulating on the air, and somebody emailed me and said, I think you're talking about this song. It's by a dude named Donovan Woods, and the song's called Next Year. And what this song's about is, you know, this father that has a kid that kept saying he can't wait till next year. And when his father, when the father asked the son, like, well, why? What's so great about next year? He says, we're going to do all those things that you keep saying that we're going to do because you keep saying they're going to be done next year. So I can't wait for next year. Because then we'll do all these things that we've been saying that we're going to eventually do. But then the kid eventually says, but when is next year? And this man, in his own life, ends up asking himself this question and figures out that, well, maybe next year should be this year. This is a great song because in some ways it is about parenting. And you know, telling your kids, we'll do that next year, we'll do that next year. You need to be looking for the things you can do now with them while you have the opportunity Sometimes next year doesn't come. But the thing about deferring these things till next year, the things that you defer to next year have a tendency to, when next year is this year, become next year again and again, and they never happen. And that's not just true about parenting, though. That's true of so many things in our lives that eventually we're going to do. You know, I, I, I talked about at the beginning of this rewind the power of the imagination of a child and keeping that. But instead of replacing it with the temperance of adulthood, marrying it. In some ways, what we do as adults is worse than replacing it. We keep it. We keep imagination, and we keep imagination in the concept of one day I'm gonna. One day I'm gonna. I remember my grandfather in his later years in life, my grandfather on my dad's side, he always used to say he was going to go fishing again out of the river. And he never did. He kept saying the best time to go fishing out the river was after a, a really good first frost. I remember one time I asked him, I said, well, you keep saying that, but you never go. Why not? He said, we ain't had a really good first frost yet. As far as I knew, we had plenty of them. It was just an excuse. And of course, one day my grandfather got so old and so limited in what he could do, the option of even going wasn't there for them anymore. And I realized the really bad part about it was that that moment actually didn't come when he was physically limited, but when he chose for himself to not put himself out there anymore, to not do it anymore. As my grandmother, my granddaughter comes in and uh, says hello to me here. A little interruption there, well worth having and quite in keeping with the topic of the week, parenting. Because grandparenting, let me tell you guys, parenting's cool, grandparenting's great. Anyway, they're fixing to go home. Um, but I try to make sure like that we do things. That it's not just put off till next year, but that, that includes your kids as you get older, your grandkids. But my grandfather, you know, really the point at which he became incapable of going to the river to go fishing again was when he decided not to go. Eventually, life as it is as we all age got to the point where the limit that he made in his head was reality in his body. But I think it's so sad that there was probably two decades where he could have went to the river a lot. And he didn't. Whether it's going fishing or building a business or taking time with your kids, don't put off to next year what can be done this year. I know there's only a couple months left, but in those two months, 
you can do an awful lot. And then maybe next year you could be planning new things to do instead of trying to actually do the things that you always said you would do next year. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. My brother and me used to climb this tree And we were gonna build a little clubhouse About ten feet off the ground We drew the whole thing up We needed wood in our dad's truck But he was out of work that summer truck only had one gear He said, we'll do it next year My buddies and me We have this dream We were gonna rent this cabin Way up in Montana We were gonna fish We had the date all picked And my old man got sick Plane kinda disappeared But we'll do it next year Another day down, another week gone You're always just talking about tomorrow You can't beg, steal, borrow, or make time So you make plans and hope for the best Life moves on so damn fast Another twelve months flies on by You're still here But it's never quiet next year My little boy and me We were out to eat And he said I can't wait till next year And when I asked him why He said cause we're going camping We're going to the ball We'll do all them other things You said we'd do next year So when is it next year? Another day down, another week gone You're always just talking about tomorrow You can't beg, steal, borrow, or make time So you make plans and hope for the best Life moves on so damn fast Another twelve months flies on by You're still here But it's never quiet next year No, it's never quiet next year My old man He was fading fast He said, I think I'd like to go see that Grand Canyon. So we just left, packed the car and went. I called in sick to work. We drove till 3 a.m. There ain't no next year. Another day down, another week gone. You're always just talking about tomorrow You can't beg, steal, borrow, or make time So you make plans and hope for the best Life moves on so damn fast Another twelve months flies on by You're still here But it's never quiet next year No, it's 
never cried next year. Oh, it's never cried next year. It's never cried.